0: Welcome to the second season of Our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time.
1: Welcome back to our Triune Pod. Ben and Nick here. Nick, how's it going in Raleigh? I almost said California, North Carolina. It is going
0: well. Football season, some new music I've been into, watching some movies after the the baby goes to bed. But more than anything, man, just day in, day out, my life is so much less dynamic than it used to be, meaning things just don't change. I feel like I have routines
1: and patterns that I think is just, this is 40, you know, three years away, but this is 40. What he means by that is we have nothing to say for unrelated. That said, how do you feel about the Bills Chiefs game? I mean, last year, Mahomes, miracle drive. This year, Bills win. Does this mean anything? Or is this way too early? I think
0: what people forget is that we were three and four last year to start the season. And we got rolled by the Bills, like I think week four of last year. So we looked, we actually looked a lot better than I thought we did than I thought we were going to look on Sunday. I still think we have a ceiling because we don't have great skill position players. I mean, we have good skill position players, but we don't have someone like Tyreek who can really open up the field vertically. So I think we're the second best team in football and we'll probably play the Bills again if things break right for us in the AFC division game or the AFC championship game. And hopefully our defense plays a little bit better Mahomes has more chemistry with Juju Smith and Hartman and MVS. I'm. This is very inside baseball. I was. I it. to be, I
1: mean, like they helped. I mean, Josh Allen. Yeah, I know the best, oh, yeah. if not one of the best quarterbacks. Okay. Oh, they, totally. they stopped him on a number of occasions. Oh, yeah. I felt so very good. Not, why don't the Chiefs go after Odell Beckham? Is uh, he just all news? No, or? there's a lot of talk about that. But football is weird
0: because the idea that a free agent acquisition, like in basketball, can just radically change your season in ways that I don't totally understand. There's so many players and there's so much about chemistry and like route, even like for like skill position players. Like I just, I think the idea of bringing in someone new and that person making a big impact, football is so complex. And so you could be a great cog but you're just one cog in the wheel. And so it doesn't really raise the raise the ceiling all that much. So I my guess is these people are very, very smart. And if they don't decide to go after someone like Odell or like Evans, that wide receiver for the Panthers, I think there's like, I, I just trust that they're like, look, we're not going to give up draft picks for players that we don't think are going to move the needle, you know? Well, the reason I brought this up was
1: a ruse to talk about Philadelphia sports because <laughs> you we are, in are a killing moment it right now. It is a moment. I don't know. I think every Philadelphia fan is a pessimist. So right now we don't know what to do in all of these games, especially with the Phillies who have no business being in the NLCS, which is, for those of you who don't know, if we win this series, we're going to the World Series. They are the last ranked seed in the National League, but they are hot right now. So, this is kind of like the Eagles from what five years ago and then won the Super Bowl after yeah. they lost their quarterback, had no business, and won the Super Bowl. So, we're praying not only for the Phil's, but miracle upon miracle, the Eagles are six and oh. So, that is come true. on, get on the Philly I, bandwagon, I think, people. I think, I think the
0: Eagles are going to be like 14 and three, like at worst. I mean, you know, they just don't play a lot of good teams. So, yeah, they're going to be very good. They're going to have the one seat. I
1: think we'll see. Well, that's all we got. So let's go to Psalm 65. You are to be praised, O God, in Zion. To you shall vows be performed in Jerusalem. To you that hear prayer shall all flesh come because of their transgressions. Our sins are stronger than we are, but you will blot them out. Happy are they whom you choose and draw to your courts to dwell there. They will be satisfied by the beauty of your house, by the holiness of your temple. Awesome things will you show us in your righteousness, O God of our salvation, O hope of all the ends of the earth, and of the seas that are far away. You make fast the mountains by your power, they are girded about with might. You still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the clamor of the peoples. Those who dwell at the ends of the earth will tremble at your marvelous signs. You make the dawn and the dusk to sing for joy. You visit the earth and water it abundantly. You make it very plenteous. The river of God is full of water. You prepare the grain, for so you provide for the earth. You drench the furrows and smooth out the ridges. With the heavy rains, you soften the ground and bless its increase. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths overflow with plenty. May the fields of the wilderness be rich for gazing and the hills be clothed with joy. May the meadows cover themselves with flocks. And the valleys cloak themselves with grain, let them shout for joy and sing. There's a mouthful psalm there, Nick. What do you make of this?
0: Well, I think we could talk about this psalm as a exercise in like, what would it, have meant at the time of its composition and also the way that we might think about it as people upon whom the end of the ages has come to quote Paul. So think about it as it relates to what God has done in Christ and what God will do in Christ for all peoples at some indeterminate point in the future. But the initial reading, I take this Psalm to be a recounting of some season of adversity, potentially a drought that the psalmist experienced as chastisement for sins, or some exercise of judgment, and the idea in my mind, and that's what's happening here, is that the the drought has ended, rain has come, and the psalm the psalmist interprets the rain as this exercise of God's grace and mercy and goodness, and so he writes this psalm in anticipation of going to the temple and fulfilling the vows he made in this in the period of supplication prior to the the rains coming, right? So you are to be praised, O God, in Zion, to you shall vows be performed. You hear prayer. Our sins are stronger, but you will blot them out. There's this sense of, in a moment of desperation and weakness, I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard me. He blotted out my sins. I will fulfill those vows that I made. I will appear before the Lord's house, and I will give you thanks. So I think amidst the different verses and the really vivid imagery with which the psalm ends, I think we can understand this psalm as a thanksgiving. I think uh, Walter Brueggemann has a book on the psalms, and he categorizes the psalms in different ways. You know, there's psalms of lament. He calls this psalm a psalm of reorientation. And the idea being in a dark, cloudy season, the dawn breaks. And we see blue skies and we reorient ourselves to the goodness and and praise of God. And the psalmist is doing just that. He's reorienting himself and all of his readers after a season of hardship by thanking God for his goodness, for his power, for his power in creation, for his bounty. And he's anticipating giving God thanks in the temple.
1: Now that you say that, I see a whole lot of either asking for or mentioning of God as provider. Mm-hmm. Grain, water is mentioned multiple times. There's a lot of imagery here. What I find interesting, and I think you're right, there must have been some kind of either famine or drought, and then the Lord comes through. But also, do you see that in verse 13 and 14? It's as if it turns into a prayer. Mm-hmm. May the fields of the wilderness be rich for grazing the hills be clothed with joy. I love this. The meadows cover themselves with flock. Like the meadows there, God's just dropping flocks on there and valleys yep. cloak themselves with grain. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like a Thanksgiving for God coming through in the hardship and in the midst of that recognition, also a prayer, continue this provision because we don't want to get back to where we were. scarcity. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And obviously Bible, Captain, obvious here is in a agricultural society. The idea of rain and provision and harvest is is much more integral to their daily life. You know, so praising God for the harvest. I've never been to like a harvest festival service, but I'm, I'm assuming they're pretty lame. But I think for people in that day, it was much more part of the rhythm of their life to give God thanks for harvests and the way he provides food. We talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing to staying in the kind of historical mode, thinking about the Psalm as it relates to the original hearers and prayers, there is something profound in a universal vision of this Psalm. You know, this is an old Testament text, obviously, but all flesh will come to the Lord because God hears prayer those who dwell at the ends of the earth, that's verse eight. It's this kind of universal opening that what God does for Israel is designed to be a sign, a call to worship for all peoples. And I think that might be a good bridge to think about how we might interpret this song as it relates to those of us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Think about it Mm. eschatologically. What was originally read and designed to be a call to appear before the Lord's house in a literal point, Of geography, namely Zion in verse one, I think we can read the Psalm as Christians, as those who have been drawn to the beauty of God's house in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you know, in in his gathered people in the church. So we are in, in many respects, a fulfillment of people from all over the earth, trembling at God's marvelous signs, being drawn and satisfied in the beauty of his house by the holiness of his temple. And obviously Hebrews 12, like, The New Testament makes that move. You know, we're not making that up. So that's not how everyone reads the Psalm, of course. But as Christian readers, I think we are right to see this as a finger that's pointing us to what God has done for us and is doing
1: for us in Christ. Yeah, you can see kind of a, maybe this is an unintentional trajectory, but in verse five, awesome things you will show us in your righteousness, O God of our salvation, O hope of all the ends of the earth and of the seas that are far away. So there's this notion that it's not just a drought in Zion, in Jerusalem, but the psalmist is making clear that God is doing this awesome thing, and those way far away see this, Mm. and it's as if as New Testament readers of this psalm, Zion has been brought to us at the ends of the earth And we can meet God in church, but especially in the community of believers. And we are essentially praying the same prayers, despite all of our technology, despite all of everything. Droughts are devastating. Mm. Uh, If we don't have food, we can't create really cool iPhones, et cetera. So it's just a kind of a back to basics psalm in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I love, you know, verses 13 and 14, the prayer you mentioned for the fields to be rich for grazing, for the hills to be clothed with joy, for the valleys to cloak themselves with grain. the images of, in my mind, is of the world kind of shaking off its its futility. And it's a, you know, capital S spring, namely this new age that is not just a spiritual reality, but is new creation, is physical. And so the picture for the psalmist of this abundant harvest that never ends is a, in many ways, a picture of what our experience will be in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, it's this embodied thing where meadows are are covered with flocks, valleys are cloaked with grain. They shout for joy and sing, you know, it's a metaphor. I don't think there's literally going to be meadows covered. I mean, who knows? We don't know. But I think um, we only have the imagery that we have in our, whatever moment we live in to make sense of what God is going to do in the future. But, and so for the psalmist, it's this abundant never-ending harvest and that's as good of an image as any i think of what you know our future destiny will be in christ this this a period of abundance and never-ending bounty
1: yeah and i think it's just i mean we can look at this agriculturally which is what how it was written and what still matters despite the fact that we don't think about that very often but i love that first part of verse 13 may the fields of the wilderness be rich for grazing think about that for a second that's the desert. Nothing lives in the desert. In the West, in the U.S., right, they know the desert is encroaching upon life, and we don't know what to do about that. But what this psalm is saying is that the desert will be rich for grazing. This is life out of death. Once again, this is a way out of no way. Mm. And what's better than that? Psalm 65,
0: you are to be praised, O God, in Zion. To you shall vows be performed in Jerusalem. To you that hear prayer shall all flesh come because of their transgressions. Our sins are stronger than we are, but you will blot them out. Happy are they whom you choose and draw to your courts to dwell there. They will be satisfied by the beauty of your house, by the holiness of your temple. Awesome things will you show us in your righteousness, O God of our salvation. O hope of all the ends of the earth and of the seas that are far away. You make fast the mountains by your power. They are girded about with might. You still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the clamor of the peoples. Those who dwell at the ends of the earth will tremble at your marvelous signs. You make the dawn and the dusk to sing for joy. You visit the earth and water it abundantly. You make it very plenteous. The river of God is full of water. You prepare the grain, for so you provide for the earth. You drench the furrows and smooth out the ridges. With heavy rain, you soften the ground and bless its increase. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths overflow with plenty. May the fields of the wilderness be rich for grazing, and the hills be clothed with joy. May the meadows cover themselves with flocks, and the valleys cloak themselves with grain. Let them shout for joy and sing.
1: How about that episode of our trying and Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.